Welcome to the SAC Shining Lights SLP Schools podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Archibald from Western University. As you know, many speech language pathologists in Canada are employed in schools. Their job is to support children with communication disabilities in accessing the curriculum and achieving their academic and personal potential. It's a challenging job. So many schools, so many students, and not many SLPs. Across the country, SLPs are finding unique solutions to providing the best possible services to the students and school teams with whom they work. In this podcast, our guests describe their innovations in school-based speech-language pathology. Thanks for listening as we shine a light on some brilliant projects. Well, welcome to the SAC Shining Lights SLP Schools podcast. Uh, can I ask my two guests to introduce themselves uh, now? Lisa, would you want to start? Sure. Thank you. Um, I'm Lisa Cole, uh, speech language pathologist from Alberta. And I'm Lindsay Bordeaux. I'm also a speech language pathologist from Alberta. Um, both Lisa and I work in the greater Edmonton area. Um, and I work as a private practitioner that supports schools and school divisions, um, but also individual families and children. And Lisa? Yeah, and very similar. Um, I, right now, we're, I'm in private practice and um, and working collaboratively with Lindsay and with schools and other SLPs and teachers in our community. Um, and we're just really happy to be here. Well, I'm really happy to have you here today, too. I'm really excited about the story that you have to tell folks about uh, the services that you've been working on with schools. So let's, uh, you're working from private practices, but let's talk about what your practice with schools look like, looks like. So maybe one of you could start with describing uh, your experiences with schools. Lindsay, do you want to start? <laughs> Sure. Well, um, yeah, some background, I suppose. Um, so our experience with schools um, within Alberta, we have worked with schools in multiple ways. So um, sometimes that would look like an FTE or an employment position. Um, sometimes schools would contract our services as a private practitioner to support. Um, and, and other times maybe we're working with individual children within those schools. Um, and then and then that service delivery can be for all ages, actually, and all levels of development as well. So um, quite varied in terms of the caseload and the children we might support, but also in how we are accessed to support them. Mm -hmm. um, Lisa, do you have anything to add there? I uh, yeah, I think that you covered um, you covered you covered it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thank you. So let's start at a time when, you know, you found your services to be the most challenging. You know, let's let's start back from before you solved your problems, but you were really learning more about the challenges that you were facing. So what did service look at that like at that time? Yeah, I, I would say that um, services at that time looked like um, a traditional model. So what was happening is that we were... Uh, being asked to see children one-on-one -on -one or in a small group. Um, and we realized really quickly over time that it was just becoming too much for us to be able to do effective and robust intervention. 
And it was frustrating for us. And we were looking for ways to make ourselves more effective in a more collaborative way. And we started exploring how can we work more collaboratively with our teaching colleagues to meet the needs of the vast majority of our kids that were assigned to us. All right. Thanks, Lisa. So so what I'm hearing about is that uh, that traditional model of uh, trying to to do something for each individual uh, that you were asking was was really overwhelming, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Does that capture, Lindsay, what, what you're thinking there, too? Yeah, absolutely. So it was that more traditional model. And I think that, um, you know, with resources shifting from year to year, um, so you so you weren't really sure, um, you know, how many children you would need to be supporting that kind of thing. And so, like Lisa said, we were trying to figure out how can we be most efficient and effective with the limited resources that we have had. And also when that's shifting um, yeah. where we don't always know, right, um, how much um, how many resources we're going to have to support these kids. And at the same time, it also felt like the number of kids that we needed to serve or, or we were being accessed for was increasing. Mm -hmm. um, and so trying to figure out, yeah, how are we going to best support them mm -hmm. um, was, was a big question. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and led to, uh, at least it's already hinted, led to some big collaborations uh, that uh, you two have, have embarked on um, in lots of different ways between yourself and with others. So let's start out by describing uh, some of the things that uh, you've tried uh, to set up and some of the, uh, the some of the projects you've started in response to those challenges. Sure. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that you know the first thing that we looked to that we tried to do was um, really just be more open and more available, especially to our teaching colleagues. Um, so that might look like when we're walking into a school that we're making sure that we're touching base with our teachers every time we're in a school. So we we really shifted our focus from, you know, going down the list of, you know, I need to see these 18 children <laughs> this morning <laughs> to, okay, who are the teachers that um, that you know have been um, really reaching out and wanting some information? And so instead of going through our list of individual kids, we took a different approach. And you know we knew that these five teachers were ones that were really going to want to talk to us today. And so we would come into a school, um, not together, but you know depending on our individual school assignments, and we would have a pretty good idea of. Um, the conversations and uh, that we had had and where we wanted those conversations um, to maybe go in terms of how can we work together to support um, students within the class with it, at that universal um, level. So mm -hmm. that was where it started. Um, Lindsay, do you have something to add to that? <laughs> um, not necessarily um, specific to that. I guess, I guess what I think we started to see was that we did have these growing numbers of, of kids being sent our way. And when we would follow up with the teacher, particularly in that grade level um, age range, when we would follow up and, and ask, you know, what's happening for this child in the classroom? I feel like the continual question that we got was, why aren't they reading? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that kind of, of sparked this, this movement, I suppose, for this SLP group and particularly Lisa and I, um, to, to think about, okay, well, why aren't they reading? And to see if we could figure out, um, together, like, let's find out why they're not reading. And, um, and being that that was this blanket, um, thing that they were noticing within the classroom, but there could be many underlying reasons for that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that started this process where, um, you know, the SLP group was then starting to collaborate and figure out, yeah, this is a challenge happening at many of our schools. Um, And so can we figure out why and take an approach with our teachers um, to support them in then supporting these students? Um, And so I feel like that began this journey of, of a collaboration and how do we collaborate together as SLPs and how do we approach our teachers in developing some collaborative practices? Um, I feel like that's a bit of the background there. Yeah. It seems like the question of um, why is it this child reading um, situates the response in the classroom. Right. Because it's asking about something that uh, is going to be a big part of what's happening in the classroom, the the teaching of reading. Right. And so um, there's that opportunity then uh, to respond in the classroom or with supports uh, in the classroom, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, it's, it's a, it's such a big question. Why, why isn't this child reader reading or why aren't this group of children reading as we would have expected? And because reading happens and language happens all day long, it's, it, it was such a great question to explore because it brought us together so quickly and it, it helped us. Um, and when I say us, I, I mean, SLPs and teachers, it helped us have this common ground of what, what are we focusing on? Um, and what are we, what are we wanting to learn about in terms of the reading, how kids learn how to read? Um, and so that really gave us a common focus. And I think that that really is what helped is that we, we were really focused on the same things. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about more about what, uh, when you were working in the classroom, uh, when you were having those con- or, or having those conversations with teachers, when you came to the school, like you were describing Lisa, what did it look like at the school building, you know, um, uh, conversations in the classroom? What were some of that? What did it look like there? You know, it started off as is is really kind of basic questions, you know, and and sometimes I would have a, a teacher, um, you know, pop in at recess, like if I had a little office space, um, you know, she she would pop into where I was working and she might say, you know, can I show you this spelling test? Right. Can we look at this together? And that's it usually started with something like that. Or, you know, can I show you this writing sample of this student? What do you think about it? And at the time, I, you know, this was many years ago. This was, you know, we probably started this in 2017, 18, Lizzie. Hey, like, and and we didn't really know, like, I didn't, (laughs) I didn't know. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, we were, we were trying to figure out, you know, why was the student spelling looking the way it was? And why was there, you know, another student's written paragraph? looking the way it was and why wasn't it making sense and and so we really went through that process of um you know looking at student work individual student work but then recognizing that you know there was usually four or five other students within the class that also had seemed to have similar presenting very similarly and so 
what could we do to help move that group of students along that didn't involve me doing pullout because that mm-hmm. didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lindsay, can add something there? Um, well, I was just thinking that, um, you know, there's this revolving issue as well with um, depending on the school that you're at and and the population of kids that you're supporting. But there's also this piece that um, sometimes these kids were absent a lot mm. or, um, you know, it was just really inconsistent when you could get in to see them. And so I think it, again, sparked what Lisa was saying about, like, there's this group of kids, but um, we might not always have the best access to them. And so mm. then what is going to be our, the best use of our time even and who can we support so that when those kids are there um, or on a more regular basis they can receive that that intervention and I think it caused this shift for us um, in terms of thinking about who our client is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes we are are being called in to see these these certain students but perhaps our client is actually the teacher and supporting the teacher um, in supporting those students um, by working together with us um, so that we can have more change, right? And over uh, a longer period of time to be more mm-hmm. effective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in uh, what you said there, Lisa, about the teachers came to you with their writing samples and their, you know, their reading, their spelling lists or something. What do you think you did to create that opening? Like, you know, uh, what what made them say, here's a strange writing sample. I should take this to the speech language pathologist. You know, what do you think? How did you create that, do you think? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, And I don't really know if I have an exact answer for it. Other than, you know, we really took the time to to build relationships and like these trusting relationships. And these are our colleagues. Um, And so when we're like Lindsay said, when we're coming into the school, shifting our focus that um, we're there to support our colleagues and work together. And so when you have that mind shift, all of a sudden, I'm going to make sure that I'm connecting with, you know, these five teachers. And I think just through relationship building and through building trust that it's okay to not know, and it's okay to ask questions. And it can actually be really fun to try to tease out all of these little things together. Um, And I think that was the part is that that we made it this, um, um, it was a challenge, but it was something that we were all really excited about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that they, you know, they were connecting the, it to language, right? I mean, presumably they came to you because they connected that the writing things might be connected with language. What were the kinds yeah. of things that, yeah, yeah. So what were the kinds of things that you know, the, the, those conversations, they, they they were also bringing questions or understanding of their own and looking for additional understanding, I think. So I'm, I'm just wondering about the nature of those conversations. And I think, honestly, I think it starts from, you know, teachers know us as SLPs, as, as working with children with speech sound disorders. And so I think think that they initially connect, um, you know, this, it, it was likely this child has a persisting speech disorder, you know, in grade two. Or, and, and so I'm going to talk to the SLP because mm. of course their spelling and their writing is not looking as expected. Mm. And so I think that is actually probably what opened the door is that, you know, it did link back to those SSD, to those speech sound disorder kids, because, um, 
you know, I, we were connected with those kids, but then of course it opens up a bigger conversation for what is language, right? And so, and it exists beyond the level of phoneme and, and, and speech, right? And so, and we, we, we had big conversations that way, which was super fun. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I think the fact that, you know, you, you are genuinely needing to learn yourself, right? You said it was early on for you, Lisa. And so um, uh, that, you know, it wasn't that you immediately knew, but that you were going to work with the, as a team. And I, and I think that must have been a genuine partnership there. Uh, and really appreciated, I bet, by them. Yeah, it, it absolutely was. Um, I think I really appreciated a learning about um it was it, it was so vast you know like I I gained knowledge of the curriculum um and which you know is not my area of expertise in any way and I gained knowledge of you know just even uh just basic classroom and behavior management strategies and social emotional strategies like you know I was learning a lot along with the teacher um and to get like it was definitely this relationship where I felt like I was learning lots. Of, and I think the teacher would also say the same thing or the teachers would say the same thing. Um, and I think in the end, when we, when we kind of recognize that we bring both like two different viewpoints, but we're bringing them together. Um, and that idea that, you know, the, the language and the language exists across all curriculum subjects. Um, and and I think that that really can bring us together as SLPs and teachers. Um, so me knowing about the science curriculum and what vocabulary you're targeting, um, I, you know, I we can work together to to find ways um, to use some really good practices within the classroom, thinking about what is the curriculum, what are we targeting this unit, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And Thank to you. add, and then and then supporting a great number of students at the same time, rather than that individual student, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe um, hitting those kids that are not yet identified as needing some of that extra support, but that are existing in our classrooms. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you think of some real successes there you know what you know what uh, some of the moments that you you feel most proud of that were there that collaboration really worked well or that particular even activity really worked well hmm. that's a good question um i think you know um this this has taken a lot of relationship building mm-hmm. as lisa described um but i think not necessarily, I don't have something coming to mind that's a specific activity necessarily, but I have things that come to mind where it's like a light bulb moment has gone off where um, say I have um, led a circle time in a younger um, classroom where um, the teachers have come back to me in the end and said, you know, I really liked seeing you do X. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was a vocabulary activity, but um, they said, you know, like when you described it to me, I had an idea, but when I actually saw it, that's when I kind of got it and connected. Um, I I can even think of, you know, doing some things with phonemic awareness and, you know, having um, some feedback about, yeah, like I have an idea of it, but I'm not really sure. And then um, going through those active activities with them where we are changing sounds and manipulating sounds and words and then seeing the teachers have trouble with that um, and then realizing, oh, hey, this isn't isn't as easy as I thought. And and to have a real um, 
feel for what we are talking about um, through those live examples, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I and think- I think, Please, Lisa. Yeah, and I think I was going to say I think that um, having having those experiences of of modeling for the teachers, um, it it's a two way it's a two way street when you have to model something because all of a sudden you really you know you the eyes are on you as SLP perhaps going up in front of the classroom and doing collaborative teaching, um, and so you very much have to have this relationship with the classroom teacher that it's okay. Like we're going to make mistakes and it's, it's fine, but it is, um, yeah, it is a lot to get up in front of a class and, and co-teach a lesson with a teacher and a lot of learning happens. Well, while you're in the moment of doing right. Mm -hmm. So I can sit there with my notebook and give you a piece of paper and say, this is what I would recommend. But if, I go in and we do it together, we can both feel really uncomfortable and learn lots, right? <laughs> and so I think that's that's yeah. where that's where it's fun. And that's where, you know, we can we can debrief together and we can discuss together. And that's how both of our practices as teacher and as SLP can grow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, really pushes your practice. And it, I think it might sharpen your recommendations too, right? Because um, and it's not until you try to teach it to a class that you realize, boy, <laughs> that's not quite, Absolutely. that's not the way I should have done it. I should have done it like this, right? And next time you'll make a better recommendation to someone else because of your your own challenges, I think, uh, in those circumstances. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Um, and also that too, Lisa, like, sorry, and Lindsay, no. but I think, yeah, I was going to say like another thing, like you were saying, like what came out of those, like, what did you see? And, and maybe if, if I can, we'll just, um, we'd like to mention that, you know, Lindsay and I were having a lot of success with collaborative practice and we were really interested in exploring that a little bit more. And so, and our teachers were really excited. And so, you know, what evidence is there that they also felt excited? And so, you know, we, we created um, um, a study group that happened every month and we got together with uh, teachers that were, we were working with and we talked about, language and reading and um you know we would read a research paper and um we were felt very supported by researchers in our community in our province and um and beyond and and so we were really happy to um have those experiences too um outside of 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 school so yeah yeah, yeah. so i'd like to talk about that piece just just a little bit more Be- before we leave uh, the school-based stuff, and, and we could come back to it so that, you know, it doesn't have to be left forever, but just to say, was there anything you needed to do to signal a change of practice, to sort of sell that, to market that change in practice? To, you know, was it just so organic that it just happened? You know, what happened there? I would say it was not necessarily organic, and yet it did evolve, right? Um, you know, Lisa, that's a very interesting question, because I feel like um, at different levels, there may have been different um, acceptance mm-hmm. of that idea. Um, but certainly, I think for me anyways, it took some warming to think of me in a different way and and, and the service that I might be able to provide or offer um, in a way that was not that pull out. Um, so that certainly took time. And, um, you know, I was sharing this example with Lisa a little while ago about um, going into a classroom and, you know, being asked, are you the pull out SLP or are you the SLP that's going to sit in the back of my classroom? 
Um, and oh, wow. truthfully, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know what kind of SLP I was. And it, it made me think about how, you know, the teacher maybe viewed me coming in um, and really reevaluate that and, and think about, yeah, what am I going to do in this classroom and, and, and this kind of thing. Um, so I really think that it took some time in terms of building that relationship and sitting back and looking at the needs within that classroom and then exploring with the teacher what that might look like and, and, you know, pitching an idea of, of, you know, I see these kids um, all are struggling with vocabulary say, and so could we explore um, leading, uh, doing a vocabulary activity together and then just talking a bit about what that might look like. Now, certainly access to teachers time is very tricky, right? So um, I think that it was more about for me anyways, about pitching that idea and letting it settle a little bit and then seeing what we could come up with together. Cause I certainly didn't always have all the answers on my own. It was more about how are we going to serve this group of kids? Um, oh yeah, I think that was more my experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Th there was a group of you or just the two of you deciding that together, or there was a whole group or yeah, how did that go, Lisa? Like, I, I, there was a group of us, so it wasn't just us working within this school division. But I think there were a few of us that were were trying to take this on and and explore what it could look like. Um, so shifting our practices a little bit, and then um, and then bringing it back to the group and sharing it with the group mm -hmm. to see um what other ideas they might have um or other approaches that they might have. But I think it was certainly a work in progress. So mm -hmm. kind of messy, like Lisa was describing mm -hmm. before. Uh, where we didn't always have all the answers, but we were just trying something new because we knew something new needed to happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that that collaboration then between yourselves was probably key. Absolutely, uh, to to shaping that practice, I think. Probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lindsay and I, we we really um, we really grew our professional relationship through all of this, um, and so we we have. Um, we've really discovered that we have very like-minded um, views and we've developed, I think, such a um, collaborative and trusting working relationship that um, even though Lindsay and I both work separately in private practice right now, um, we are very much on the same page of how can we move some of these ideas forward to support kids and thinking more broadly in our communities. And so how can we, how can we do that? Um, um, yeah, together. Yeah. Yeah. So let's come to your study group now. It's, it, it's my understanding that the, the teachers were looking, were seeking more information. That was one of the pieces that ignited it. Is that can you describe that a bit more? Yeah, sure, a little bit. Just this kind of stems from what Lisa just said that we were looking for a way to um to collaborate with our community and and kind of spread um increase awareness and and share teaching practices and that kind of thing within our community. And so this idea emerged that we could maybe do a study group where um, you know, Lisa and I were the facilitators or the leaders of that, but um, we did have these teachers asking for information um, 
and, and seeking information about um, how to maybe shift some of their teaching practices. Um, and we had SLPs who were wanting to support that as well. So we essentially created a platform um, where teachers and SLPs could come together to discuss research and teaching practices around language and literacy. Um, and then we were very fortunate to be connected with um, a researcher from the U of A, um, Dr. Leslie Wade Woolley, who supported our, our study group as well and brought that researcher perspective to our group to be able to answer questions um, and just to support some of that conversation and the ideas that were happening there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm sure our listeners will be interested in just the mechanics of that. How did you set it up? How often did you meet? You know, who? You know, how many folks were involved? Can we just hear a little bit of those kinds of details? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We met monthly. So, um, and we met re remotely. So that was one of the things that came out of the pandemic, right? To get us all together. So we would meet just over Zoom, um, and we would um, meet monthly. So Lisa and I would um, have a topic, and we would find um, some easily accessible reading materials so either a webinar actually or we would find a research paper that supported the topic so um an example could be um phonemic awareness um so why is it important why do we need it um word recognition um things like that we went into vocabulary and language logical awareness too logical awareness yeah lots yeah. Of, of topics like that um and we went into dld and what that is and what it looks like in the classroom so um, developmental language disorder um so we had these groups of topics and like i said we'd meet monthly and we would discuss this research paper or, or the webinar that we watched um within this really safe community um yeah that, that included speech pathologists and teachers. Yes. Yeah, yeah. nice, nice. And then yeah. we had this research um, expert that would come in and we were very fortunate to be connected with um, guest speakers. So other researchers from other parts of the world that would come and talk about their research papers um, or the research that they were doing. And um, I think for me, one of the things that um, was, was told to me, but I also appreciated was this access to researchers in those in that field um, and and what they were doing and, and having them come and talk to us within our groups a lot just brought it um, closer. It made it much more accessible. So not as scary and not so outside, but yes, we can look at the research and then we can implement that within our practice mm -hmm. uh, with our kids. How did you go about setting up all those visits from researchers? We asked. <laughs> <laughs> We we were we were so fortunate as as Lindsay said um, to have some good connections and those were mostly facilitated through um, Dr. Leslie and so we yes and so we we um, sometimes we were very nervous to ask or to even put the idea out there um, which was most of the time <laughs> and but in the end it was actually just so so fantastic. Um, uh, Dr. Suzanne Adloff was a was a, a former guest of ours, and and you know we were just we're so familiar with a lot of um, these researchers, their work, and so it 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 felt really intimidating um, and scary, but in the end, it was so great to come together to talk about a common a common thing. Um, and, and that we were all kind of thinking about how can we put this into practice and what are the challenges that we might face? 
Um, and I think just from a professional standpoint, like Lindsay and I have talked about this, that the study group for us as, as just as SLPs, as clinicians, it kind of ticked a lot of boxes for how can we improve our own practice in certain areas. And so if there were certain areas that we were wanting to know about and, and learn the research a little bit more, for example, on developmental language disorder, um, what, you know, how can we how can we get more information and then how can we talk about it? Mm. And so it also, it gave us that opportunity and it also gave us an opportunity to, um, to have, and this is maybe a bit harder to say, but to have an opportunity to, to lead something, because that is, that, that's something that SLPs right now, we wonder if there, there are opportunities for SLPs to do things like that. Um, and do those opportunities exist within schools? And we're not sure if those opportunities are there yet, but this gave us an opportunity outside of the school um, to collaborate and to, um, to lead something that, you know, was exciting and new and um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there, there's nothing, you know, you, you get to understand things so at such a deeper level when you talk to one another about it, right? When you try to restate your ideas in, in novel ways and have someone else repeat it back to you in yet another way, right? And then that always brings you to a deeper understanding. So I think that's the kind of thing that those kinds of conversations really do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think within the study group, um, what was really neat for me to hear would be to have the teachers asking questions of the researchers for how it would apply in their classroom mm. as an SLP thinking about yes so how does that apply in a classroom what would that look like um to support those students right and and I think it was challenging sometimes for the researcher right so what would this look like in my classroom mm-hmm. um but overall I felt like the researchers that did come to our group were very happy to discuss their research mm-hmm. and happy that it was Absolutely. being considered and possibly used so I, I felt like um, that was the response I felt like from them. Um, and then just to follow up with what Lisa was saying there last, um, this was this was interesting for me, even Lisa, listening to your previous podcasts in that the SLPs that were speaking did seem to be in some um, leadership roles within their divisions or within where they were working. And, um, you know, I was reflecting a bit that that has not been my experience working within schools within um, Alberta. Um, and, and I do kind of think a bit deeper there that, um, you know, they were leading some really exciting and interesting um, projects within their school division. And I I was just thinking, you know, um, within that leadership or, or having that connection with your administration is, is really important to develop those collaborative projects, right? Um, to think about an SLP's role maybe beyond that one-on-one pollo and that, that traditional um, speech sound role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it makes the job challenging, right? Because it's all about how we can all collaborate, right? And, uh, and you know, and 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 create those collaborations. That, you know, it does does make that challenging. So, um, and so, uh, did the study group end? How you know, how long did it go on for? How how long did you keep those guys interested in coming? <laughs> We, we, um, we did it over two years, actually, monthly for two years, and we, we would break in the summer and our last study group session was June of 2022. So we just wrapped up. Um, 
we're not sure if we're going to continue or not going forward into this year. Um, we, Lindsay and I both have taken on a couple new things and yeah. And so we're not too sure, but, um, you know, if teachers start asking for it, then maybe we will. <laughs> Two years. That's a commitment. Did, like, uh, and did you have teachers coming in and out of the joining and, or was it a solid group the whole time or. Yeah. Honestly, mixed was, bag. Yeah. It was mixed kind bag. of mixed. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it started off with, um, I think at one point, like the highest we had was like, Oh, Lindsay, was it like 40? There was like 40 people, yeah. I think a couple of oh, times. Wow. Yeah. which seems substantial to us yes. um, and uh, kind of as the the you know the years went by I think you know our group got smaller over time um but but yeah for a few sessions for sure we had I think we had 30 or 40 people yeah yeah and, and I think we did have a core group of people that would come and then it but it was a very open format so mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. people were welcome to join at any point and and would still be welcome to join at any point mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. Uh, we were continue um and so it was in the evening like people were coming on their own time yeah 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 it was really yeah and we we also you know we we tried to elicit tried to get some feedback from our our participants so we sent out a um like a google form and you know what else do you want to learn about so we we tried to um to incorporate as much as we could with, with what, uh, you know, the people who responded, you know, what they wanted to learn about. And so we were, um, you know, trying to meet those needs too. And um, yeah, there's lots of neat things that came mm-hmm, from it. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Do, and what about teachers? Were they, uh, do you know if they were primary grade teachers or were there you know, range across, was it across the range or? Yeah, it was, it was. And there were some um, district level administ- um, administration, a couple came and um some principals would come on the regular mm-hmm. um yeah and some yeah i would say at preschool too right Lindsay? Yeah. Yeah. yeah kindergarten sure. and elementary for sure yeah and did anyone talk about the impact on their practice in the classroom yeah go ahead lisa yeah <laughs> no go ahead i think you should talk about um Lindsay, about um the one teacher that you collaborated lots with and in pre-k Oh, so yeah, I, I'll say a few things actually here. So the the impact I feel like um, at that pre-K level um, with that particular teacher, we developed a very collaborative practice where I ended up leading lots of things within her classroom. Um, but I think for her, um, you know, when we first started talking, I think she had said, you know, what is the science of reading? Like, what what even is that? Um, so what does that mean to have science behind what you're you're doing? And mm-hmm. um, and so I think over time that she had this shift of like, wow, you really think in terms of like, what is the evidence behind what you're doing? And I was like, yes, I do. Um, and she was like, oh, that's so new to me. But and and just over time and through our conversations, um, I think her perspective started to shift and mine did as well, right? In terms of how, what is she trying to do in terms of a curriculum and and how is she leading this group, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, to the extent that we were really sad when that relationship was was ending, but we just were able to really come together to provide some really great programming for their kids. Um, and then just thinking, Lisa, about um, the school project that we did last year with mm-hmm. the outcomes yes. there, I and so that was more with grade level students, mm-hmm. but, you know, the teachers there were really, um, really positive in terms of what they felt like they got out of that 
the learning and then the application and the mm-hmm. feedback that they said to us was that they really appreciated seeing things live. So when we would go in and, and lead a lesson, say with like word chaining and how does that look in the classroom um, that they, once they saw it, they were then more easily able to implement it. Um, and I know Lisa, you had sat in and gave some active live feedback, I think with um, that teacher, you might want to speak to that, but I think overall just some really positive feedback, Lisa, which, um, supported us in continuing to do that work. Yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds very exciting. I'm going to start to wrap us up now. Let me, I just have a couple of what I'm going to hope will be somewhat brief questions, although I know they're not really uh, brief, but um, what about those speech sound kitties? Are they just like totally lost in the, in this kind of approach? Where, where are they at? <laughs> Oh boy, we, this this might be a whole different podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, I'll book you, you know, in. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but you know, t- just to say, Lindsay and I, you know, in in 2016, we actually did implement, um, you know, um, a multi tiered system of support. Um, uh, um, I guess I don't want to say program, but but way of looking at speech sound disorders for pre-kindergarten and kindergarten within um, a particular school district in our community. And uh, we specifically were looking at supporting kids with speech sound disorders at all tiers of intervention, particularly at tier the tip of the pyramid and and providing um, um, intensive services for those children. Um, and from that project that happened many years ago, um, a lot of learning happened around MTSS and response to intervention and growing our knowledge of kind of systems and system level um, uh, services and what that can look like. And of course, from there, we really started to think about, uh, um, you know, language and how to apply that, that, that framework to language. And and here we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And here you are. Very nice. All right. Yes. I think we might have to to do that uh, a second <laughs> podcast, right? To hear lots more about that. Uh, what kind of advice would you give? What's one piece of advice you would give to your colleagues who are implementing a program along these lines? That is a big question. <laughs> um, I, like for me, Lisa, I feel like my advice would be to take a step back at times, at least that's what I think has been helpful for me. So sometimes you are drowning in, in your caseload. Right. Um, and so what's been really, I have to remember to do this, but to take a step back and look at it from that broader perspective, because perhaps there is a different way to go about meeting those needs and serving those kids. And I don't always know that other people are thinking about that because they're not living it. Mm-hmm. Right. So we really are those people that can take that step back. So that's a big one. But I feel like that would be my my thought is to if you can take a step back and see if there is another way to go about this. Mm-hmm. And find and find a find find a colleague that will help you be able to zoom out. Right. Because we're so focused on that list. Mm-hmm. And so who who can zoom out with you? <laughs> you know, who can, who can kind of take that bird's eye view with you? And and I would say, you know, obviously, like if you can pull in an SLP partner, um, a teaching partner, and a principal partner, like find somebody who's at that school level who has um, the capability to make changes in schedules so people can collaborate and meet. And and I think that that's also. Um, a big piece too. So, you know, find some people who are willing to take a bird's eye view 
with you. Right. That, that Great tips. Thank you. All right. We'll finish up with one of your favorite outside of work activities. What's a favorite outside of work activity? Um, well, well, I, yeah, I, have, <laughs> I have a dog and her name is Mary. Felt like Merry Christmas. And um, she is, you know, other than my children, she is my number one. My number <laughs> one. So You're we right. uh, we spend lots of time together. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Lindsay. Um, yeah. And for me, I have three busy kids. So I am often watching what they are doing. And that is my happy place. It's just being where they are and watching all of their activities. And really, right now, that takes up most of my free time. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you both so very much for being a guest on the podcast today. It's been lovely to chat with both of you. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the SAC Shining Lights SLP Schools podcast. You can find all podcasts, transcripts, and links to the episode resources on the SAC website. That's at sac-oac.ca. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast or you'd like to suggest a guest, please email the host, Lisa Archibald, at larchiba at uwo.ca. That's L-A-R-C-H-I-B-A at uwo.ca. You can listen to our podcast on all of the major podcast servers. If you liked this episode, be sure to give it a thumbs up on your platform and share it through your social media and